Welcome back. This is the second hour of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting live from my stuff deal, which is the studio on the stuff. The stuff being the rooftop in Morocco. And I've been here since July. And if you want to listen to the shows I've been doing from then on until as long as I can keep doing them, go to my Substack, kevinbarrett.substack.com and subscribe. You can subscribe for free and get a fair bit of stuff, or if you want to hear everything and get all the early access to all the podcasts, you can pay a mere six bucks a month and be part of the cognitive elite. Well, I think so. I mean, if you want to know what's really going on in the world, you got to step outside that Western matrix one way or another, and uh, Truth Jihad Radio is definitely one way to do that. Well, there's been a, a debate in the alternative media since October 7th about what happened to Israel's vaunted defenses. Were they totally defeated in a humiliating manner by Hamas and the allied Palestinian resistance groups that broke out of their concentration camp prison and attacked their tormentors? Not targeting civilians, by the way. That's all a big lie. In any case, what was responsible for the intelligence failure, the military failure on the part of the Israelis who have this reputation cultivated by themselves and their media assets that they're really, really good? Well, there are basically two versions of that story. And one is that this was a huge success for the Palestinian resistance. And that's the one that I pretty much agree with. But then there are a lot of folks who think there must have been some kind of stand down or complicity on the part of the Israeli authorities. And one of the more illustrious of those voices is James Perloff. James Perloff is a notable uh, alternative media author, and he's actually been a best-selling author, unlike just about everybody else in the alternative media. His new article, From the Arab Platoon to Hamas, Israel's Abu Nidal Strategy, gets into some really interesting history about how Israel has a long history of false flags and maintaining these so-called Palestinian terrorists that it seems to have very friendly relations with. Could that have anything to do with what just happened in occupied Palestine? Well, let's get into it with James Perloff. Hello, James. How are you? Hi, Kevin. Uh, good to be back with you. Yeah, great to have you back. And uh, you're always doing wonderful, interesting, provocative work. And I featured your story uh, from the Arab platoon to Hamas, Israel's Abu Nidal strategy on False Flag Weekly News last week. We talked about that. And, you know, I'm one of these people that's coming down on the side of, no, I don't think October 7th was really a false flag. I, that's not, I don't think that's the accurate, really, way to think about it. I mean, even if there had been some kind of complicity somewhere on the Israeli side, there's no way that they wanted this particular thing to happen. So either way, the Palestinians scored a huge victory, a military and an intelligence victory, if indeed their intelligence you know, somehow managed to trick the Israelis into letting it happen uh, the way it happened. Because the way it happened, it's very damaging and quite likely fatal for the state of Israel. I don't think Israel would ever have wanted that. So that's been that's been my position. But your position draws on history to say, you know, there's this long history of Israel doing false flags. And, you know, this one could have been, too. So you know, maybe you can give us kind of the, the, the short version of that. You can either respond to my take on it or you could go back and, and get into the, the history as, well, as you like. 
we could probably put it in the context of history. The I'd like to break into five parts. Uh, one is the long history of false flags by Israel. Number two, their history of penetrating Arab groups. Number three, in the article, I focused on Abu Nidal because he was considered the uh, most vicious Arab terrorist of the 1980s, but it turns out he was really working for Mossad. And then number four, I drew, do draw some parallels between uh, Osama bin Laden and Abu Nidal, not to say that Osama bin Laden was working for the West, but there's some interesting parallels. And then finally, in that context, I do look at uh, what happened on October the 7th. So to start with the false flags, we know that Israel has always tried to blame Arabs for things that it does. That would you know, you start with the King David Hotel bombing in 1946 when they went into the King David Hotel where the British had their administrative headquarters and military headquarters. They would disguise themselves as Arabs and uh, brought in explosives, which killed 91 people and uh, mutilated many others. And, you know, uh, this is one of the events that led up to the British leaving Palestine and then the Israelis declared themselves an independent state. And then, of course, the Levant affair, which even uh, Wikipedia acknowledges, you know, uh, where the Israelis uh, tried or wanted to have their operatives blow up uh, American British civilian targets in Egypt and blame it on Muslims. Uh, then the 67, of course, the attack on the USS Liberty, uh, you know, hitting it with rockets and napalm and then firing torpedoes and even machine gunning the lifeboats and killing over 30 U.S. sailors and wounding more than 170. That was during the Six Day War, of course. And the Israelis flew in unmarked planes, um, obviously intending to blame the attack on Egypt. The United States would come into the war on their side, uh, even though that didn't prove necessary. And then because the liberty did not sink as the Israelis intended. And um, in 1986, you had uh, a bombing at uh, Berlin discotheque called LaBelle, which a lot of American servicemen were at. And then the U.S. intelligence intercepted messages from Libya congratulating the perpetrators and then Reagan bombed Libya in response to that. But it turns out that Viktor Ostrovsky, of course, was an officer of Mossad, revealed that Mossad planted that transmitter in Libya and it was a fake message sent by the Israelis. And then in 1994, I've got a two minute video clip in my article from Annie Machen, who was an officer in MI5, you know, the British FBI, where MI5 determined that the 1994 bombing of the Israeli embassy in London was actually done by Mossad. You know, nobody was killed by that bombing. There were some injuries. But uh, the Palestinians were making progress in gaining uh, prestige and fundraising in England, and the Israelis wanted to put a stop to that. So the whole thing was blamed on Palestine. And of course, 9-11, you know all about that. They're, they're dancing Israelis, urban moving systems, which closed on the day of 9-11, and it's owner fled to Israel, Larry Silverstein uh, acquiring the World Trade Center six weeks before 9-11, getting a $4.6 billion payout, not showing up on 9-11, neither did his children who worked there. You know, by the way, Silverstein's partner in the World Trade Center was Frank Lowy. He acquired the Underground Shopping Center. And Lowy, you know, he was in Haganah, and then he joined the, the uh, Golani Brigade, which was involved in the, the brutal Nakba, expelling the Palestinians. And uh, one of the most vicious commanders, perhaps the most vicious commander in the Golani Brigade was Ariel Sharon, who just happened to be Prime Minister of Israel on 9-11. And you've got Zim Navigational, which had uh, the largest shipping firm in Israel, which had been in the World Trade Center for 30 years. And one week before 9-11, they break their lease. <laughs> and then... 
that the, the uh, uh, security at the World Trade Center being handled by Kroll Associates, uh, run by Jules and Jeremy Kroll. Well, uh, Jeremy Kroll's wife, Lynn, was chairman of the United Jewish Appeal, which is a big fundraiser for Israel. And the, the chairman of that appeal was Larry Silverstein. And then you get Logan Airport Security run by ICTS International, uh, which is owned by Israelis. And Michael Chertoff put in charge of the U.S. investigation of 9-11. His parents were Israelis. His mother was the first stewardess for LL. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And of course, in the defense part, you got Richard Pearl, Paul Wolfowitz, Douglas Fife, all huge, you know, Zionists. So tremendous Israeli Zionist connections to 9-11. But and you can break into comment anytime you want. Well, I actually, I pretty much agree with everything you've said so far. So yeah. I'll have to wait a while before I can argue oh, with you. Okay. I don't want to <laughs> make you wait past our, our end time here. Uh, I talk a little bit about Arab infiltration of uh, uh, Arab groups. And this is a quote from... Uh, is it Alan Hart or Ian Hart? Alan Hart? Uh, Al- Alan Hart. Alan Hart. Who is, yeah, he, uh, he was a regular guest on this show. I think I interviewed right. him like a dozen it, times or so. And he worked for the BBC as a Middle East specialist. And here's what he said to you. It's a direct quote. He says, quote, it's not a secret. From almost the moment Israel was born, it's had its agents penetrating every Arab government, every Arab military organization, and every Arab terrorist group. And quote. And then you're familiar. You've read this book as I have. The, the book Rise and Kill First the history of Israel's target assassinations by Ronan Bergman, who's an Israeli author who interviewed a lot of people in Mossad. And he talks about the Arab platoon, which is formed by Haganah, which uh, consisted of Jews who mostly they emigrated from Arabic countries, so they spoke perfect Arabic, and, and they were trained not only in sabotage, explosives, and assassinations, but they schooled in the Koran and Islam so they could penetrate Arab groups. And also, you know, I, I, I gathered this information, by the way, I was researching a book on 9-11, and I, I had to cut off that book because uh, of when COVID struck. You know, I'd been I spent about eight months on that book, but COVID struck and it became the priority. But uh, Farouk Mir, Pakistani author, uh, he refers to a uh, incident that occurred in Pakistan when the president of Pakistan, General Haq, he was entertaining a Pakistani columnist named um, Mirza, and uh uh, Mirza notes that General Hack was talking to two tribesmen with long beards who were speaking perfect Pashto, the, uh, uh, the language of uh, language used in uh, Afghanistan and, and Pakistan. Mirza was surprised because normally the general wouldn't speak to low people, but after the conversation, he came to Mirza and said, "You know who those guys were? They were Israeli Mossad. They're training the Afghanis, so they could even impersonate being Afghanis." and but the main section is on Abu Nidal, and this is quite a discovery for me. Was and, and, you know, before, before we jump into Abu Nidal, which is a big part of your article, James, yeah. uh, just, just maybe we should explore that. Like, okay, two, two guys who looked like Pashtuns and spoke perfect Pashtun, but they were actually Mossad. That, that's actually kind of surprising because one understands how the Israelis would be able to infiltrate Arab groups because, as you say, about half the population of Israel is Jewish Arabs. That is, people who came from Arab countries, like here in Morocco, uh, mm-hmm. a very large number of Moroccan Jews were terrorized by Zionists. Into oh, same, same thing Morocco. happened in Iraq, right? Yeah, Iraq and Yemen as well. Uh, so there are all sorts of Arab, native Arab speakers who are really no different from the non-Jewish Arabs. They are, they're Arabs. I mean, the convention is not to call them Arabs because, you know, since Israel was founded, 
there have been sort of two groups, the people fighting on behalf of Zionism and the people who, who don't like Zionism. And the Jewish Arabs, by and large, have supported Zionism. But they're still Arabs, just like all the other Arabs. They speak Arabic. That's what it means to be Arab is to speak Arabic as your native language. So anyway, it's it's kind of, you know, you, you know that Israel has lots and lots and lots of native Arabic speakers so they can send them out to infiltrate Arabic speaking groups. But Pashtun, wow, that's impressive. How, how do you explain that this little tiny country of Israel is better at putting out, you know, fake Pashtun speakers than like the United States is? And um, I would somehow think, you know, they like, have a sophisticated very sophisticated intelligence service that is able to pull this off. I really can't explain that. Okay, okay. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to make a stat. Okay, I, as I understand it, uh, well, the history, uh, Jewish history, includes a history of having these ethnic nepotism-driven trading networks all over the world. And so uh, you know, successful, prosperous, intelligent, and ambitious Jewish individuals would go and live in various societies and they would have to kind of pass. They would have to learn the language and kind of fit in a little bit. And, you know, some you know, Jews came to America and changed their name and looked very American. And, you know, we right. all know that. Yeah. Right. So, so there's a, a talent for that that goes back through generations. And then we observe that uh, we're told that Jewish average IQ is a bit higher than non-Jewish average IQ. In the United States, as I understand it, Jewish average IQ is closer to 110, uh, whereas uh, other American IQ is closer to 100. And verbal IQ, uh, not you know, not IQ in terms of mm-hmm. being able to solve difficult problems and so on, but but just verbal fluency, basically, verbal IQ is even higher among Jews, uh, like closer to 113, 115, I think. Uh, which is quite impressive as an average. That means there are some really good language learners, and I've known some Jews who are very good language learners, and I think that's probably a generalization that has some truth to it. So anyway, uh, you put all of this together, and you would understand why this very small nation could actually come up with better Pashtun infiltrators than the United States can. 